Welcome to CHN Radio. Um, my name is Elijah Newsom. I'll be your host for today. Um, sorry uh, for those who are expecting Greg. Um, Greg is currently on the New England Mecca, as we call it here in the States. He's on vacation uh, at Cape Cod, so he's enjoying himself, having a relaxing time. Um, but yes, uh, like I said, my name is Elijah Newsom, one of the hosts of CHN Radio, the best and number one podcast for Coming Home Newcastle. Um, if you're not following me on Twitter and you want my crazy, funny, hilarious, cool, edgy takes, you can follow me at Elijah underscore Newsom. And if you're not following the podcast on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing at CHN underscore radio, and then, of course, follow this main site at Coming Home NUFC. Um, check out this, the website, though. I mean, if you're if you're into reading, if you know how to read, if you are someone who enjoys reading English and words and stuff like that, um, our site has some amazing writers, and they're putting out some really good content. Uh, we recently wrote some stuff up on Hoslu. We've got a cool series going on right now between our site manager and one of our writers and uh, listener. Shout out to Kyle, uh, One Lost Muffin. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you've heard that name before. Um, they're doing a series right now uh, take, talking about Newcastle throughout history through each decade. It's really cool. Um, we wrote some stuff on Steve Bruce. We wrote some stuff on the boycott. Graham is killing it right now with the opinion pieces. Shout out to Graham. His book comes out in like two weeks. So we've got some really, really dope content um, being turned out right now, especially in the midst of a really odd summer uh, for Newcastle United, to say the least. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. So um, first things first, though, uh, we need to talk about um, something that obviously affects this podcast, uh, arguably more than um, any other news that we'll talk about today. Um, it is with great sadness um, that in episode 69, uh, my personal favorite episode so far, uh, because, you know, 69. <laughs> um, but it is with great sadness that we do announce that um, our longtime friend of the program and uh, honestly shrine of the program, um, Hasselu, has departed the club. Um, it was reported that this would happen. Uh, we did prepare ourselves mentally for it last week, last week's pod, episode 68. But um, he's off to Deportivo Alves uh, for about 1.8 million pounds. It's a sad day. It is a sad day for Newcastle fans all over the world. Uh, we are grieving the loss of such a wonderful and impactful player. Um, it's, just, it's just really tough. Um, so... Our thoughts and prayers are with anyone who are who's currently processing this. Still, um, we're 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 recording on a Monday. 
uh, morning Eastern Standard Time. Oh, wait, this is Tuesday. Never mind. We're recording on Tuesday, Eastern Standard Time, um, July 16th. So this is a day after, almost exactly a day after we, we got the news. Um, but, uh, man, Deportivo, they don't know what they're getting. Uh, he... Hasselu, honestly, on a serious note, and I, I did write about this, he, of course, didn't have the most impressive uh, record at Newcastle. Um, he made, uh, I think, 49 appearances and, and scored six goals. But he had some really memorable moments. Um, he scored some, some goals against Liverpool. He scored, um, I remember two seasons ago, the 2017-2018 campaign, where Newcastle were in that relegation battle, and we had this important matchup against Swansea, um, and he scored one of the goals that lifted us above Swansea and kind of started creating that gap and got us on that run and that secured promotion basically. So um, Hostel's had some great memories, and like, and I kind of touched on this in the article, but I mean, he had a, a rocky start with Newcastle fans because if you think about his first season there, we had uh, we had some strikers that. You know, I wouldn't consider Premier League quality, or um, I mean, or especially Rafa didn't consider Premier League quality. You had Dwight Gale, who we all know his record in the Premier League, um, and then you had uh, Islam Slimani come in mid-year, who he was a bust. He he didn't work out well, and then of course Alexander Mitrovic, who he and Rafa have not been had not been on good terms, so. Uh, Hasselu was our main striker that year he made like 30 something appearances I think 32 appearances 30 starts so he was not of course and of course turning in like only like three goals or something like that so he wasn't he wasn't um he wasn't particularly liked amongst fans because of that because everyone was wondering why do we need to play Hasselu including this including members of this podcast but this season when we had Ron Dunn and Hasselu was just like a supporting character I think people really grew to love him um and I mean, love is definitely an overstatement. I think there was a lot of fans at the, at the end of this year that were either I don't think anyone hated Hostel anymore. I'll say it like that. They either made fun of him, he was a meme, he was a joke, or you just absolutely loved him and his passion. And I mean, we were kind of both. Um, I mean, if you look at a guy like Hostelu, who is not necessarily Premier League quality, it's been proven to be that since his time at Stoke and at Newcastle. He still worked his ass off. He always had a great attitude, and he always praised the fans. And so, um, you know, to be fair, I mean, if you want Newcastle fans to like you, if you do those three things, like you'll be, you'll be solid in their eyes. So, um, so yeah, that that's our that's our ode to Hoslu. We're gonna do a quick moment of silence um, for Hoslu as he as he makes his way uh, to to La Liga and back to Spain. Okay, that was kind of awkward uh, length for a moment of silence, but we're going to keep things moving. Um, so next bit of news we got for you, um, Henri Saive, Henri Saive uh, you forgot about him because he's still on the Newcastle roster. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's still on the Newcastle roster. Uh, well, we'll just briefly touch on him. Um, he somehow, uh, he's, he's a part of a record-making uh, campaign with Senegal right now. So the African Cup of Nations is going on right now, which if you aren't familiar with the African Cup of Nations, it is uh, quite possibly one of the greatest uh, football footballing tournaments in the world. Not for the quality, but for the fact that it's just like 
balls out kind of dick measuring contest where guys are just all over the place. Um, and it's just, everyone's just trying to, they go hard. They are super athletic. It's just like a lot of fun to watch and guys get crazy and stuff with their celebrations. And yeah, it's just a fun tournament. Um, it kind of reminds you of like, like a super douchey high school or primary school, not primary school, geez, high school, like, like if a bunch of bros got together and started playing soccer and I don't know, it's just, it's just interesting. So, um, this is interesting year for AFCON, uh, because honestly, we have a couple in our, in the final or two teams that I don't think many people expected to be there. Um, Nigeria, of course, was one of the favorites, um, and they were knocked out, uh, Sunday by Riyad Mahrez, who had a stunning free kick um, for Algeria. And so Algeria's in the final, and they'll be playing Senegal, who Henri Saive starts for. So Henri Saive is a holding midfielder in that lineup. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't say Senegal's success is completely owed to Henri Saive, but I'd say a majority of it is. And then we'll give we'll give some credit to guys like Idrissa Gaye, Ismail Assar is on that team, and, of course, Sadio Mane, who they probably were – decent parts of uh of the success of, Sen- of the senegalese national team but they have the chance to to make history um i believe this will be their first uh afcon uh cup that they win um so uh yeah shout out to Henri saive who he is still a newcastle player um will miss the upcoming asia trip which um it's sad, I guess. I mean, I don't really know. He's going to miss the first part of preseason. But, uh, you know, anything to make him a better talent is always great. And if it results in him getting sold and at a decent wage because of this, this tournament and people have scouted him and he's played well, then, you know, let it be. Uh, so, yeah. So, shout out to Ari Saive. Um, so, uh, the next thing we'll talk about, kind of speaking of the um the uh asia cup and all that kind of stuff is that the asia cup roster recently came out and so um so for those unfamiliar so the asia cup uh is the preseason tournament that newcastle are doing so um if you're if you're a club um of any size there's kind of two options for preseason you either kind of play in a preseason tournament where you um you are you make a lot of money essentially that's kind of the money way um you're paired up with some teams usually teams of similar stature are invited so like in this tournament it's like wolves i think man city so some premier league teams i think maybe aston villa or west ham one of those teams are are in there i think west ham maybe um are in the asia cup as well uh so yeah you're invited to a tournament and you guys kind of split the revenues you're paid you're paid to be there and you kind of split the revenues of like you know tickets sold and all that kind of stuff you can sell your merchandise so it's a good way to make um, a fair bit of money um, without doing a lot of the legwork and then the other route is to do your own preseason tour where you'd have to be responsible for all the logistics um, and you kind of play whoever you want um, you pretty much depending on where it is I mean you you make more you, you could it, it yeah, you could make a good amount of money doing that as well it's just like doing preseason tournaments like the Asia Cup or the International International Cup which is the big one that Americans may be familiar with where Real Madrid takes they take place in it usually Liverpool usually big clubs do that and they do this tour of America um, all the logistics are taken care of they're paid a hefty fee to participate um, the preseason tournaments you make a lot of money um, but it's done for you and you could potentially make more money doing your own preseason tournament but um oftentimes it's difficult nowadays um 
if you're a club to set up your own preseason, especially if you're a bigger club, you want to play decent talent uh, because a lot of the decent talents are already in preseason tournaments. All that to say, um, Newcastle went with the easiest way to make money, and so they're doing the Asia Cup, which takes place um, in China. Uh, Rafa Benitez wasn't really a huge fan of it, but of course, uh, it ended up happening anyway, uh, regardless, because um, according to Mike Ashley, no one manager is bigger than him. Uh, so, yeah, so that's where Newcastle are, are right now. So um, we don't have a manager, um, as you guys know. Um, and so I think Neil Redfern is leading the training sessions. Players are, for the most part, uh, it seems like players are being pretty positive. Um, I'll read the roster off because there are some people who are not going to be there. Uh, obviously, like Henri Saive, uh, Miguel Anrion, uh, due to just um, them recovering from uh, international duty or being on international duty, which has opened some spots um, in addition to players being sold like Hoselu and Ayuzi Perez. It's opened some spots up for um, for other players to get some uh, some to get some some playing time. So um, so we'll just go. Uh, some of these names are going to be familiar. We'll start off with uh, Martin Dubravka, obviously, uh, Kieran Clark. Paul Dummett, Sung Young Ki, Fabian Scher, Jamal Lascelles, Jacob Murphy, John Joe Shelby, Dwight Gale, Matt Ritchie, Yoshinori Muto, Isaac Hayden, Rolando Ahrens, Federico Fernandez, Menkeo. Um, Hoslu's on this roster, but he's obviously not there. Um, Jack Colback, Jamie Sterry, Carl Darlow. Uh, <laughs> they spelled Fred Frederick Woodman wrong. Maybe you spell Frederick F E R. Can we get someone, someone, if you're listening to this right now, please look up uh, Freddie Woodman's full name. And if it's spelled for Derek, how it's spelled here, F-E-R-D-E-R-I-C-K, then yeah, uh, yeah, then please let me know because that's weird. Um, so Freddie Woodman's there, uh, Nathan Harker, uh, Akraf Lazar, Sean Longstaff, Maddie Longstaff, Owen Bailey, Kellen Watts, and Thomas Allen. So, um... Those last few names, as you can tell, are all guys who are like U23 standouts. Um, Matty Longstaff getting some first-team action. Uh, shout out to him. But that's what you should really be paying attention to during this uh, Asia Cup is the play of the youth guys because I'm pretty sure they're going to get some playing time um, because like we have no manager. So the man, so uh, like there's no manager right now. So there's no reason to evaluate guys and figure out who do you want to play um i don't think the plan is for neil redfern to be an actual caretaker manager for the first bit of the season it could get to that point um like we have less than a month to really kind of decide on that but it looks like a similar situation that the united states men's national team was in um post world cup or during the world cup when they found out they hadn't made the world cup where you just play some of your young guys get some guys involved and see who can impress i'm not really sure what kind of system we'll be running uh greg mentioned i think this is this might have been mentioned on the last pod he doesn't even think we'll score a goal uh this tournament so um so yeah that's what i would pay attention to the young guys particularly looking at maddie longstaff uh you know his next step is to probably get out on loan somewhere. He's he's been pretty good for the for um for our U twenty threes and uh U twenties. Just the all the young guys. Basically our B teams. Um and according to Greg, I asked Greg about this um about a week ago. Uh he thinks, you know, getting him out on loan would be great. And the first step is kind of seeing how he does against some really quality talent. Um 
And then guys like Owen Bailey and Kellen Watts, it'd be nice to see uh, them get a get a go um, and hopefully get them some cup action. Um, and if our loan manager can finesse something really good, uh, a good situation for them, then that makes sense. Um, hopefully we see a little bit of Freddie Woodman and Nathan Harker as well. Uh, Freddie Woodman kind of know his situation. I want to see him going up against uh, some Premier League quality. So when we have the opportunity to play Man City, which I believe we do, um, I'd, I'd love to see uh, him in goal because Man City has such a, a deep team and deep academy that whoever he comes up against is going to be a good test for him. Um, and their offensive system doesn't change with their personnel per se. Uh, like Pep Guardiola is still going to play that Man City type of football. They're still going to create a lot of chances for themselves. So it'll be a, a good opportunity to see how Freddie reacts and then we can kind of see if he's improved on some of his his lesser qualities. We know he can stop shots, but one big concern we had during his cup appearances was his distribution wasn't up to par. So I mean, it'd be nice to see if he's worked on that. We kind of already know what Martin Dubrovsky is going to bring to the table. Um, Owen Bailey and Kellen Watts might as well get them some game time, honestly, um, and try to you know see if they can uh, see if they can make some name for themselves and potentially get out on loan as well. Um, in an ideal world, a lot of these guys. Uh, Maddie Longstaff, Owen Bailey, Kellen Watts, Thomas Allen are 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 going to be on on loan this season. That's what you want to see. Um, all these guys have kind of reached that step in in their their career. Not I don't know that much about Thomas Allen, but I do know Owen Bailey and Kellen Watts have been names that have been in U twenty threes for a while. So um, yeah, that's kind of it on the Asian Cup. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break um, and then we'll get back to the rest of the news. Juice your stuff. Um, this week because this has been an interesting week for Newcastle. So I'll see you on the other side of this break. Okay. And we are back. So um, this is an interesting week uh, for Newcastle. This is going to be a little bit out of order, but it's going to make a little bit of sense. Um, we'll hit with actually the mo- the two most recent stories. They're kind of related um, and they're kind of relevant and it kind of sets us up uh, for the, uh, for the next bit, um, so uh, Michael Chopra uh, was on uh, a talk sport show uh, this morning, Tuesday morning, July sixteenth, um, and he had, I would say, some very interesting things to say about uh, Mike Ashley. Uh, Chopra essentially said that uh, he doesn't believe that Mike Ashley is actually trying to actively sell Newcastle United. Um, it's a bold claim. For sure, but definitely not something that should, I don't know, surprise anyone. Uh, we've seen this this song and dance before from Mike Ashley. If you're new to following Newcastle United, um, this is going to be, this is right now, uh, there's uh, BCG Group, the Ben Zayed Group, aka BCG Group, um, who are supposedly trying to buy Newcastle United, um, and that's been the talk of the summer. It kind of was really cool. It was a great moment in the beginning of the summer. We were still kind of not sure what Rafa was going to do. Sunderland had just been uh, knocked out of the uh, promotion playoff final, um, and the same day this news came out that BZG Group were interested in buying the club, um, 
and we just it's understood that they could potentially have a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this is the third time in the past two years that uh, the club has been close to being being sold. So um, anyway, Michael Chopra, uh, he had some choice words for um, for some journalist who was talking about uh, about Newcastle yesterday. I totally forgot to pull up that quote, so that's bad prep on my behalf. Um, but Chopra was on Talk Sports. He was invited on, and he basically made that claim that Mike Ash wasn't ready to sell the club, or he's not going to sell the club. And this is how he made that claim. And it's interesting because the timelines do line up. So I did go back and look at uh, at some of the articles from the, when this was. So he basically said that um, the end of of last season, um, he had a guy from Saudi Arabia who was interested in purchasing the club. Uh, he said he, he spoke to Lee Charnley, who put us in contact with Andrew Henderson, Mike Ashley's lawyer. So we called him up and wanted the mandate from Henderson to speak to the guy and Saudi about buying the club. And then Andrew Henderson said that if the Saudi guy is that interested, he's got enough money, he's a Roy out there, tell him to fly to London and see me. And so from that date, it made him think realistically that they don't want to sell the club. They won't give a mandate to someone who has found someone who wants to buy the club. So basically saying... Um, Andrew Henderson, who is Mike Ashley's personal lawyer, um, basically heard that there was a guy willing to sell the club and willing to buy the club with a lot of money. And if you're trying to sell something, so and I we use this comparison all the time. If you're trying to sell your house and someone comes in with an offer at your asking price, you know that they can. They someone comes in and they're interested, and you know that they potentially have the funds. You you talk to your real estate agent or whatever. Like this person has the funds, they're willing to offer the sticker price. You don't really have to do much negotiating. Um, let's just go ahead and get this deal done. You go ahead and get the deal done. You give them the open house tour. You clear your schedule because you need to sell the house. Like that's that's what you are said you want to do. You put it on the market. You've got the for sale sign up there. And essentially, what Chopra's saying is that the for sale sign's up there, and there's an interested party, and the homeowner's like, well, you know, if they're that interested. Here's my, uh, let's see, uh, I can think we can kind of squeeze them in, maybe, I don't know, and isn't really doing anything on their behalf to make sure that this person has the opportunity to actually see the product or see the club or and make an offer and purchase the club. Um, so it's an interesting claim, and I don't, like Michael Chopra has no reason to to lie or or say, like there, there's no reason for him to lie i mean he's not there's not there's no gain from him. he's a retired player um he's not i don't really know what he's doing right now it's not like he's up for a managerial position or he wants to be a sport he doesn't have a reason to lie so so uh he he says this and and based on conversations uh, if you haven't heard our warren barton live podcast uh but based on you know things that warren said about uh like you know some how sometimes the way the club treats former players and sometimes just the not it's not a bad thing it's not treated poorly but just like not a you know players want to still be involved and it doesn't seem like they have that opportunity I mean, it's not surprising that they totally just rebuffed Chopra and kind of gave him the finger um and so Chopra went on to say that we're contenders for relegation a big story uh, but who didn't know that um so so yeah it, it's interesting uh and if you look at you know what the chronicles was reporting i'm sure that chopper might have been the one to leak to the chronicle the end of last year there were other parties interested besides uh peter kenyon and that kind of stuff um that were that were there was always this rebuffed interest from the middle east and that's probably one of the people who was who was interested but 
um, it, it's interesting that, you know, more and more people are, are starting to speak out about Mike Ashley. Um, and uh, it, it, it's not surprising that, um, that he, there was a guy with money who he rebuffed. If you look at the Stavely bids, um, and if you're not familiar with the Stavely situation, because I know that we do have some new listeners who are here post Miguel Almiron. This was pre Almiron. This was the end of uh, the 2017-2018 campaign where Newcastle were climbing their way up the table and they were uh, ended up finishing in 10th. Um, Amanda Stavely uh, was a broker um, who had started her own investment group, uh, PCP Partners or Capital, something like that. Um, and uh, she had she had negotiated a sale for Liverpool, I believe, or tried it, or was on the. She was a part of the people trying to negotiate a sale for Liverpool um, with this BCG group. Actually, um, she worked with them, the her group, PCP partner, capital partners, whatever. They worked with the BCG group actually to try to get the billion dollar sale of Liverpool to go through, and didn't happen. Um, but uh, she essentially came out after the fact, after months and months of negotiating with Ashley, and put out every single bid that she put down and um it was interesting because mike ashley at that time had said i will sell the club for 350 million pounds that's my i think the original price might have been 300 million pounds and then it was 350 million pounds once there was some interest um and he said i just want to sell the club uh, it was after the first after the second relegation in his tenure just want to sell the club move on it's clear that like I'm not cut out for this, blah blah blah, and people are like, okay, cool, Mike Ashley, sure, sell the club, and he he made this bold claim that he'll even do, uh, you don't even have to pay all at once, you can pay in multiple payments, like I will do whatever it takes to get this club off my my hands, and so Amanda Savely put in multiple bids, um, some that were you know 300 million up front uh, with uh, bonuses uh, in the back or. Um, some that were like 325. I think there was a couple that were 300 million up front with like 50 million to be immediately put in transfers and like 50 million to be put into facilities. And then there was stuff that was like 350 million uh, over the course of five years. And or it was so there was all these different bids. And you know, it may not be exact, like some of them weren't exactly what Mike Ashley wanted. Um, you know. There, I think about four of the five offers were about three hundred million, with the with the goal of turning their with the goal of like investing a hundred million into the club itself, so that the club's a viable product again and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, you know, and it's not exactly what Mike Ashley wanted. But when you're selling something, you, especially something that's big, like I said, when you're selling a house, you may ask three hundred fifty k, but sometimes just due to people seeing more of the the club or the house that you offer maybe there's some leaks maybe you need some ac you need a new ac unit or maybe like um you know you need to redo the insulation like you have to drop the price down just a little bit just to get the deal done and so it you know it's not it's not ridiculous that 300 million pounds was an offer that was made a lot um and then 350 million pounds cash which is what he wanted over the course of payment over the course of years um, in separate payments, which he said he would do, was an offer, and he said no. Uh, Peter Kenyon's a whole other story of, you know, there was potentially an asking price met and just never proof of funds. I think Amanda Stavely had gone through the proof of funds stage and 
made multiple offers on the table. None of them were accepted. So um, anyway, all that to say, uh, Michael Chopra is the latest to speak out against Mike Ashley, um, latest former player to do that as well. Uh, this summer, we've seen so many already. Um, just the club is in absolute disarray. And that has probably led to our kind of next story, um, which is is reported that uh, there's roughly 12,000 unsold season tickets right now. So we're about a month out, a little over a month out uh, from the start of the Premier League season. And we're about, there's 12,000 uh, season tickets that haven't been sold. So St. James will look a lot different if this number holds. Um, realistically, I don't know if, you know, we'll get to the end of the summer and there will be 12,000 season tickets that are unsold. Um, because like they, they, the article mentions around this time last year was 5,000. And of course, they eventually sold out of season tickets. Um, but I think more and more people are finally fed up with Mike Ashley. Um, I think losing Rafa was one of the last steps. And uh, there's some other stuff we'll get into that was that could have been another reason uh, for uh, some other reasons for why there's you know decreased interest in watching the club or supporting the club under the Ashley regime. Um, but obviously losing Rafa Benitez and then within the week selling Jose Perez, even though like we mentioned in the last podcast that was kind of a calculated Jose Perez was always going to be sold kind of thing. Um, that kind of definitely turned some people off. Um, it seems, um, and it's it's interesting because. I'm so curious for this Arsenal boycott because I think at this point, barring, you know, Jose Mourinho being brought in as manager or the BZG group completing the takeover, um, I just don't see how uh, the Arsenal boycott will not be um, the most successful fan protest in the past couple of seasons, which is a, to be fair, it's a low bar. Um, the fan protests have not been great. Um, the sit-in versus City had 13 people. Graham, he was a part of it. The walk-in for West against West Ham, uh, there's about two, two or three thousand people who walked in late. It was barely noticeable. Um, but with no war flags and and you know people in the Gallagate Inn, a lot of people on Twitter and a lot of people on Facebook, and this new boycott Arsenal group has done their due diligence trying to notify the community um, outside of Facebook and Twitter, which is something that I have said so many times in articles about protests that you need to get the other people involved who are not on Twitter because Twitter is not representative of the Newcastle fan base. It's representative of a fraction of the Newcastle fan base. And this boycott Arsenal group seems to understand that. And then, you know, stuff with, you know, Steve Bruce and that kind of stuff, that's all helping the case uh, that, you know, we should boycott Arsenal. And I think the growing frustration is that um there's going to be fans they won't be completely empty there will be fans there but it does seem like there's a good amount of people who are who are willing to at least boycott one game um and that's something that's kind of cool to see honestly um and i'm just so curious to see how it actually works if it actually happens um and if it does happen what the response from the media will be or what the response from mike ashley will be what the response from the players will be um it's it's all very interesting um previously mentioned on one of our other pods Warren Barton's not a huge fan of the boycott I don't think many players are because from a player's perspective you thrive off that energy um and so uh now with uh and I think the boycott's also hit a new wrinkle not wrinkle but it's, it's kind of a good thing um this is kind of a, a thing thrown out there so Arsenal fans are upset with their ownership group and of course 
they're upset and a couple tweets are going out and it's freaking national news sky sports is doing a whole feature on it and of course newcastle fans have been complaining about mike ashley for 10 10 15, like 15 years now or whatever 13 years and still we just don't get the time of day uh that some of these arsenal fans are getting and some of the arsenal support and hey maybe it's a good thing maybe it just draws more attention to the opening match of the season which will be televised internationally uh, against Arsenal and there's even talks of trying to get with an Arsenal supporter group in order to do a joint protest outside of St. James um, which would be very interesting uh, to see two clubs kind of standing in solidarity uh, sending a big finger to the Premier League that's like hey if you're going to be an owner in this in this league you need to actually care about your team care about your managers care about the players care about the fans um, which you know you run the risk of doing of of well, right now the, the Premier League is in this sort of state where, like, you're only as good as your owner, essentially. Um, and Newcastle was the was was the sole kind of like, um, what's the word? Objection to that. Like uh, Newcastle somehow uh, under the guise of Rafa. I mean, not even somehow. We know under the guise of Rafa Benitez, one of the greatest managers on this planet. Um, and according to some, he made some people's top 30, he was 35th best manager of all time by, uh, I think it was either fat mob or no, it was, it was 90 minute football. I think they did that. Um, anyway, uh, you're only as good as your manager in the premier league. If you have not man, you're only as good as your owner in the premier league. If you have great owners that in, invest a lot of money, you will be a top six team. If you spend the money, if you have owners that spend the money, they listen to the managers, they make good managerial hires, they, they, they're they interactive with the fans, you will be a successful club. You'll have the support of your fans, and you'll have the support of your manager. Your manager is able to um, bring in the players they want for whatever fees they need to. Like, it's just, it that's how you win. And, uh, and you know, bad owners tank clubs. Uh, it's It's... It, it, that's there's no other way to say this. If you're a bad owner, your your club is probably not going to survive in the Premier League. And so, um, it's shocking that Mike Ashley has has made it this this far. Um, but anyway, um, we're gonna take just another quick break. Um, and we'll get into something else that's been on the minds of many as this week kind of kind of went on, and something that kind of flew underneath the radar that we kind of need to address just temporarily. So I'll see you on the other side of this break. All right, so uh, we're back. Um, so yeah, let's 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 talk let's talk a little bit about um, one of the more interesting things that came up last week um, in Newcastle. Uh, there was multiple reports, multiple reports saying that an agree agreed fee in terms for Joel Linton the uh, Bundesliga striker that Newcastle have been linked to, young Brazilian, youngish, I guess he's like 24, 25, Brazilian striker who has been keen on making the next step. Uh, he's been linked to a number of clubs, uh, Newcastle kind of being the front runners in, in that regard. Um, there was a, there's reports that basically once a new manager was announced or whatever, or new manager was confirmed that, uh, Joel Linton would be joining Newcastle uh, soon, soon thereafter, and Newcastle started to make signings. Um, and then 
Additionally, additionally, uh, Keith Downey, Sky Sports Keith, Sky Sports Keith, whatever. If you want to follow him, go ahead. Uh, he he made the bold tweet that Newcastle have some transfers waiting in the wings, uh, potentially up to six incoming players. Um, once a manager's been announced, they're just waiting on getting a manager in. Which let's break that statement down real quick before we get back into Joel Linton. That literally makes no sense. Like, I mean, like none whatsoever. You have six players that you've scouted and that you have deals you're ready to pull the trigger on without a manager. So, like, why, like, if you're not going to take the manager's input on on the players that they should bring in, then why even wait on the manager? Just get the players in now. Um, I mean, it's it's a very Newcastle approach of doing things, which leads me to believe that they probably do have six guys. Um, that they believe they could probably get. I don't think that the deals are done or, you know, that are going to be, they're going to be brought in, but I think they have six guys they've been looking at. Um, and probably the guys that they were, you know, up in arms with about Rafa. And so probably younger guys who were transfer targets of Rafa, but maybe not his first option. For example, Joel Linton was an, a tar- is probably someone Rafa scouted and, and put a target on, but was not his first option um, because he wanted Rondon back. Or if he, if in an ideal world, he got them both. Um, so I don't doubt. Maybe they there's six there's six people they want to sign, but it's also Newcastle and six people six incoming transfers is, is as good as saying that I Elijah Newsom I'm going to find six million dollars tomorrow. It's just not likely with Newcastle. So um, that's interesting. That's an interesting little tidbit. But let's get back to Joel Linton. So then today on the 16th, um, Chronicle, who broke the Joel Linton deal, is pretty much done, just waiting on a manager. They're reporting now that the Joel Linton deal is nowhere near done. And it's not really high likely. It's not very likely that the deal is going to be done as soon as it's been reported. So yeah, that's classic Newcastle for you. Um, this happens far too often. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what Newcastle's plan is here. But for the time being, Newcastle are still the only team that have not signed anyone uh, this season, uh, this off season. And there's a point where. I mean, it already didn't make sense, but it, it doesn't make any more sense now. Aston Villa have spent like 70 mil. West Ham have brought in another signing today for 45 million pounds. These are clubs who, what Aston Villa was in the championship last year. West Ham has not been on TV as much as Newcastle has. West Ham also have been spending money for the past two seasons. We're talking 80, 90 mil in the summer windows. And Newcastle have not. And still Newcastle, according to Mike Ashley, don't have the funds really to 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 sign players and sign players at a, a fair price. I, I'm just it's just it's shocking that uh, that that this guy is still allowed to own the club. Um, but anyway, um, so let's get on to uh, our final set of stories uh, for the day and. Bear with me. This is going to be. Oh, you know, actually, let's real quick um, before we get into our final stories. Just quick notes. Uh, shout out to Newcastle, I guess, for not selling Sean Longstaff. I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, they apparently hit Man United with a fifty million pound price tag. Uh, just to 
drive him off. I don't know if that's even something they would... If, if a $50 million offer came for Sean Longstaff, Mike Ashley would want to say yes, but I'm sure Lee Charnley and maybe... I don't even know. I can't even say. I would say the technical staff would say don't do that because he's he's not... He's, he's a good young prospect. You could probably get more from down the road. But Mike, when does Mike Ashley listen to his managers? So, I mean... He doesn't have any manager to listen to, so I mean, yeah, he, I wouldn't be surprised if Man United offered fifty million for Long, Sean Longstaff, he'd probably be gone. Um, and then Martin Dubrovka, there was a report, uh, kind of been, it's kind of gone quiet. It was there for a day that Martin Dubrovka was interested in potentially leaving Newcastle with a host of clubs being interested. I mean, Juventus and Manchester United, I believe, are the clubs. Juventus have been a club that have been interested in Martin Dubrovka since he, he, he was signed at Newcastle. So I'm starting to think this is a little bit of a fabricated kind of thing that possibly his agent or someone in his camp uh, maybe have uh, has 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 uh, uh, put out there as a feeler just to see if there were clubs interested uh, trying to get out of this situation. I don't know if Martin Dubrovka himself have has really been as vocal as the articles make it seem that he wants to leave the club. I would I think that like any player if if Juventus or Manchester United or a quote bigger club came calling that he would want to go there and make a name for himself and become a legend in his own regard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um but yeah, so let's get on this final story. So, um Steve Bruce so, um, this is a wild one, uh, so bear with me, so, uh, Steve Bruce was, it was, let's see, July 10th, um, so last week, um, late last week, it was reported that Steve Bruce, uh, it was, shout out to the Chronicle for, honestly, this is a, actually a shout out to the Chronicle, they, um, they kind of predicted Steve Bruce was the front runner based on the betting odds, um, so that's actually pretty good reporting, so we'll give shout out to them, um, but it was reported on July 10th that uh, Steve Bruce was going to be the manager of Newcastle United, uh, he just needed, he was on his way, and, and yeah, he, then it was reported he was on his way to Newcastle to talk terms, um, and the only thing that needed to be done um, and, and was, you know, just to get him to sign and that was kind of it. That was July 10th. July 11th, we saw uh, Lee, Lee Ryder was the first to report this, that there was a compensation issue um, between Steve Bruce and, well, over Steve Bruce. And so a lot of fans thought it was more of a, we tried to get Steve Bruce on a cheap, like, you know, he wasn't going to, like, you, you were trying to lowball Steve Bruce. But it actually turns out it was a compensation issue between Newcastle United and Sheffield Wednesday. Um, for those who don't know, Steve Bruce and Sheffield uh, Sheffield Wednesday uh, Football Club uh, have an interesting relationship. So Steve Bruce was brought in um, in January uh, to kind of save the club. Uh, they were hovering near that lower lower table, of the championship relegation spot, and then uh, Steve Bruce came in. Uh, he took the first month off, started later. Um, restructured, made some signings while he was doing that, though. Restructured the league. Um, that was when Orlando Aarons, I believe, was sent over there. Um, yeah, so reshuffled everything, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, did what he had to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, started a month late because he was grieving his parents and he was recovering from some minor injuries. Um, he had been sacked by Aston Villa, um, who would go on to gain promotion, obviously. Um, sacked by Aston Villa, 
in October of 2018, and then he got in this job in this, in January 2019. Got a month to uh, grieve and all that kind of stuff. Changed every, a lot about the club. Brought in his own technical staff, all that kind of stuff. And to be fair, and, and also it was on a one month rolling contract, kind of low risk for both people involved. It means like. If he were to get a better opportunity, it would be easy for him to leave because it's a, the buyout's one year. It's, a, it's You just have to pay the remaining salary um, in terms of compensation. And then um, for the Sheffield Wednesday, it's pretty easy to fire him if he sucked because you only have to pay your salary. So it's a rolling year contract that renews um, in the summers, I believe. Um, anyway, uh, Steve Bruce actually had a very good second half of the season with Sheffield Wednesday. They only lost four times. They had plenty of wins. Um, one of their losses on the last day of the season, so it doesn't even really matter. And they were able to finish mid-table. So, um, he, honestly, not a bad season for him. But his record in the Premier League is not great. He's not what I'd say a Premier manager uh, by any means. Uh, some of the, the clubs he's manager, managed, Birmingham City, Wigan, Sunderland, Hull, Aston Villa, and Sheffield Wednesday. Um, he's not, hasn't been great in the Premier League, um, decent in the championship, but certainly a step down from Rafa Benitez, and certainly not the best player, not, sorry, best manager available. Think about all the managers out there who are, you know, um, I would say free agents, uh, or managing national teams or something like that, who would take a club job in a heartbeat, um, He's. I wouldn't say he's at the top of their list of of uh, top of the list in terms of available managers, and he's not even that available. I mean, Newcastle were approaching Steve Bruce literally the week of Sheffield Wednesday's first preseason game, so um, that compensation issue happened, uh, and that was something, um, and so that kind of put a a a, uh, a rod in the spokes, I guess, or jammed the gears of getting this this. Uh, announcement um this this managerial appointment done so what what ended up happening was uh Sheffield Wednesday actually played a friendly uh this weekend uh and Steve Bruce it was a whole saga I mean Steve Bruce uh he managed the friendly he was there um and uh he uh it was against Lincoln City uh and he didn't travel with the team um and he traveled on his own assumingly because, presumably because, like, the plan was by the end of this match, like, they probably will have it sorted out and I could go to Newcastle and take over the team. Joke's on him, that didn't happen. Um, and the fixture itself was wild because um, there was a supporter that stormed the technical area, uh, visibly upset at Steve Bruce for leading the club. Um, and so, and then he was outside after the match, signing autographs, taking pictures, basically acting like nothing was going on, and then, which led a lot of Sheffield Wednesday supporters, one of their their supporters groups tweeted out, it's probably not even true that he's going to leave, because he was so happy, and seemed happy with the fans, and with the club, and with the players, and was so energetic, and everything, like, they were like, there's no way it's happening, and then in the press conference, Steve Bruce says, yeah, I'd like, he basically said, I'd like to take the Newcastle job, it's just up to the clubs to sort out the compensation thing, so the reported compensation was four million pounds, um, and so as we went on throughout the day, I, I wrote about this and posted it on uh, maybe Saturday, Saturday, yeah. And then yesterday it was reported that 
Steve Bruce had resigned and that an agreement of four million pounds was um, was the compensation fee that Sheffield Wednesday wanted. Um, and it was also reported that Steve Bruce's contract would make him the lowest paid Premier League manager, um, which is insane. Uh, one million pounds a season. Uh, he would be the lowest paid. And so it's just kind of like Steve Bruce grasping for straws, trying to get back in the prem. Um, so you had that, and it pretty much seemed like, all right, well, Monday morning we'll probably have an announcement. Um, yeah, we'll have an announcement. It was, it, oh, no, sorry. Yeah, Monday afternoon, because we had all this happen on Sunday and Monday. We'll probably have an announcement. Monday it was announced that he was resigned. Look at my timeline. That he had resigned Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and it was basically like, all right, cool. Um, we'll get him out to China. And then today happened. Tuesday, July 16th. Literally right before I started recording this podcast. Um, we got some crazy news that um, former Lyon manager Bruno Genesio uh, was rumored to be in Newcastle and agreed to a terms of a four-year deal uh, with to manage Newcastle United. Um, so I'm going to, like, this is going to be like live potting to the extreme because I, like, I mean, I don't even... I don't even know. Like, like since I started this, there's been reports and counter reports, and people are no one seems to know what's going on. But um, here we go. So, the, starting from the top, uh, different football news broke the story that Le Progrès, Le Progrès. I'm gonna say, I think that's how you say, it, uh, claimed that Bruno Genesio is currently in England for talks to become Newcastle manager on a four-year contract, um, and. La Progrès also said pending with with a UAE takeover on the horizon, which I wouldn't put much stock into that because pretty much everyone outside of Newcastle just is assuming that there's a takeover that could happen because anyone with the brain knows that if someone has money and you're trying to sell something, you should sell it to them. So everyone's assuming this takeover is going to happen or is on the verge of happening. Um, so anyway, um, so and back on La Progrès, they are the local La Progrès, La Progrès, La Progrès. Uh, they're the local. Uh, Lyon paper uh, where uh, Genesio had just spent um, pretty much a, a, a bulk of his managerial career. So that was the story that broke. Um, and just a quick background on Bruno. So Bruno legitimately, he's a, I wouldn't say he's, I'd say he's an up and coming manager because he's, you know, similar like Vieira where, you know, he, he, he's not like an established, uh, been managing for you know, super long, uh, but he was an assistant at Lyon, he played at Lyon, uh, and he managed a couple of lower league, uh, league teams, uh, and, uh, he was an assistant at certain places, and he got hired, um, at Lyon, at his, at his old club, Olympic Lyonnais, um, and he was an assistant for Lyon too, and then he was an assistant for the main team, and then he took over as the manager in 2015, uh, where they we were like second and they I think they made it to they made yeah they made it to uh, the semifinals of the Europa League. Um, they finished second in the in 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 the table behind of course Paris Saint Germain, and since then they've finished third every year. So Genesio would be a much better option than Steve Bruce, which is why this is very shocking. Um, and so he's also currently a free agent. So there's no compensation fee to be paid. It would just be a, uh, oh, you want to manage us? This is the terms. Uh, it would 
this is how long we wanted you to be here. This is how much we'll pay you. And that's it. You don't have to pay any compensation to anyone. You don't have to worry about it. You just, he, he brings his staff in. He gets right to it. He can start working on transfers. It makes a little bit too much sense for Newcastle. It also sounds like something Newcastle, um, it, there's a couple things that makes it very newcastle as well. So it also sounds like Newcastle just didn't know this guy was available. And then, like, someone was like, oh, you know, why don't you guys go for Genesio? He's, he's, he's available. Um, he'll probably do it. I mean, he's got nothing to do. He left Olympic Leon on his on his. I kind of, I don't really know. I guess on his own terms, kind of. Um, at the end of April. Um, but like he has a very good record there. Uh, 100 wins, 36 draws, uh, 46 losses. Blah blah blah. With a 54% win percentage. But that's not important. What's important is uh that um this report kind of surfaced out of nowhere. So. We've, there's there's kind of two sides that have come of, kind of emerged out of this, and I'm going to check right now as we speak to see if the Chronicle lads have have uh, have um, have any comment on this. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. So there's some people um, who who are uh, who are saying that uh Genesio is not someone and Lee Ryder is one of those people uh saying that Genesio is not someone who is on the cards for Newcastle um Aaron Stokes uh is a guy who another guy said uh Damien Spellman but then there's some other people who are basically saying that um this this uh this newspaper is incredibly reliable and like late pro grade they are a really reliable newspaper so that it'd be and they're close with Genesio, so I, there's no reason why we shouldn't believe them so it's up in the air at the moment i wouldn't put too much stock in it considering the amount of crap newcastle are going through right now to land steve bruce um but it is an interesting scenario um and i don't know it's just weird uh, Steve Bruce is not an ambitious hire by any means, and Steve Bruce has essentially made himself a villain, um, and has gone from a you know, I wouldn't say he was a liked or disliked manager. He was just a man, man manager to a villain. Uh, so <sighs> Dale Johnson, who's an ESPN reporter uh, who covers uh, English football, he has a, a very good thread on. On uh, on on Steve Bruce, basically talking about this is a weird move for Steve Bruce because it makes him a villain. Uh, Steve Bruce is leaving Sheffield Wednesday right before the season starts in one of the safest jobs that he's going to have in the championship. Sheffield Wednesday are, by all means, a solid team um, for the championship standards. They're going to either be consistently in that upper table. To, under under Steve Bruce's management, they would probably be in the upper echelon of the table, you know, fighting for promotion. Um, it's a safe job. Uh, I wouldn't say the expectations are high. They just want to not get relegated. It seemed what that seems like they're okay with that. The club has worked immensely with Steve Bruce, um, letting him change a bunch of crap, uh, letting him start late, uh, a bunch of things, and Bruce has kind of given him the finger. And has gone to a club in which he's already declined twice, um, and for one and one time declining Newcastle and choosing to manage Sunderland. Um, 
Steve, Steve Bruce, I mean, he's, like I said, he's not a guy who, I wouldn't say he was liked in the first place, but he's definitely making it worse on him. Uh, now Sheffield Wednesday fans don't want him, and the Newcastle fans don't want him. So no matter what happens, he's going to be seen as a villain. Like, nobody wants this guy. Um, and for the sake of the club, I don't want it to happen. Now, I will give Steve Bruce the benefit of the doubt. Um, looking at the, the list of teams he's managed, he hasn't managed, you know, teams that have a ton of talent uh, or teams that are well-equipped to uh, survive in the Premier League. You could argue Newcastle are, you know, they're not, that you could argue that Newcastle could be one of these clubs. You could also argue that Newcastle should be safe um, if, as long as they bring in a striker. Um, if you look at some of the, the players in the team, Shelby, Longstaff, um, our back line, uh, there are players who are good enough to get the job done. And if you're a manager and if you come with any sort of tactical sense, if you can defend and utilize these players to the best of your ability, you shouldn't be facing relegation with Newcastle. That being said, Steve Bruce hasn't done well pretty much anywhere except for his short-term stint at Sheffield Wednesday. He's pretty much been sacked from every job he's taken. Um, he was criticized at Sunderland for refusing to like change his tactics, although everyone else was constantly changing tactics and game planning. Um, and, I mean, he's seen as a, a manager players like, and, I mean, that's something to work with, I guess. But when you're looking at trying to attract talent to the Premier League, people like the prospect of playing in the Premier League, yes, but they also like the prospect of playing under decent managers, good managers, managers who they'd like to be with, up-and-coming managers, whether you're an up-and-coming manager or whether you're an established name, people like playing underneath certain managers. That's how we were able, that's how so many players were able to come to Newcastle because Rafa Benitez was a manager. You don't, not every player gets to say, I played underneath Rafa Benitez. You're, you're joining the likes of Steven Gerrard. You're joining the likes of uh, Jen Lovren. You're joining the likes of so many other players that are are decent names, good names. Guys are going to go down in history. Eden Hazard was there, I believe, when Rafa was there. Um, maybe not. I, I'm losing it. So, I don't know. Steve Bruce is an unambitious hire, I would say. Um, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So, um... If you're listening to this podcast, if you've made it this far, if you've gotten through the rambling, um, give us a little tweet. Let us know. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the current situation? Um, I personally don't think Genesio is going to happen. Um, I, I'm sure our manager is going to be. Um, I think the. I think yeah, the manager is going to be Steve Bruce. Um, it's it'll be interesting, but for now, uh, we are. Actually, we are like a month away from the season starting. Jeez, oof, this is tough. Um, about three or so weeks from three or four weeks, three weeks I think from the window closing. Uh, Newcastle do not have a signing. Newcastle have one out and out striker on their roster. Sorensen, I believe, was added to the Asia Cup roster. So forgot to mention that. Um, so I guess you want to add Sorensen to the list. We have two out and out strikers. Uh, Dwight Gale, who is a championship-level striker. 
Elias Sorensen, who we have never seen outside of, uh, I believe, League One. Um, Yoshinori Muto could potentially be a striker. Yeah, things are not looking great for Newcastle right now. But that is a tale that we've pretty much echoed this entire summer. Uh, so we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, please connect with us. Be sure to follow us, follow the podcast on Twitter at chn underscore radio, um, and then of course follow our uh, our our main sites uh, Twitter account coming home new in UFC uh, at coming home in UFC, uh, and of course check us out at comminghomenewcastle.com. Uh, you'll get some dope content, some really good articles. Like I said, we have some really cool series. Um, that are being pushed out there. And, of course, as we get closer and closer to the season starting, there's going to be even more uh, dope content for you guys. Um, that being said, uh, also be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts uh, if you haven't already, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If that's Spotify, if that's um, if that's Stitcher, if that's uh, Podcast Addict, if that's um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Hit that subscribe button. It, it really helps. It means a lot. Um, and if you're really bored, just hit play and pause a bunch of times. Um, and also just uh, put the, or play the podcast on repeat um, when you're not there. So just like if you're like put your phone on silent and then just play the podcast. Just help us get some more plays, you know, get some more downloads, that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, that's it. it. This has been Elijah Newsom uh, with CHN Radio. Uh Greg is currently somewhere on a beach having a nice shandy. Um, I'm not really sure what a shandy is, but Greg's having one. Probably knowing Greg, probably, you know, for breakfast he had some steak and bourbon. Uh, So, um, anyway, this has been Elijah Newsome uh, with CHN Radio. Uh, We love you guys, uh, and we'll check in with you guys next week. Here's a little bit of Blade and Races.
back to paradise There was Bonnie Gamby Goon There was four and twenty on the bus Man who had danced and soon They called on me to sing a song And I sang the Paddy Fagan I danced a jig and swung me twig The day I went to bleeding The blade and tune, the bellman he was carrying there, they called him Jackie Broom. I saw him talking to some chaps, and then he was persuading to Gamsey Jordy Ridley, showing the mechanics how it bladed. Johnny had a white hat on, they yelled, we stole the cuddy. There were spice dolls and monkey shows, and they had wife selling ciders. And the chaps were happening, going to butcher, and no more lads for riders. Oh, no. 